Well, as many of you know, this week has been challenging in so many ways. Um, you know, for those of you that are not part of our regular church uh, gathering here, uh, we earlier this week uh, we had our facilities broken into, and um, we had around ten thousand dollars worth of things taken from our facility here, and so. Um, that kind of began our week um, in a very difficult way. Um, shortly after that, um, one of our elders had a little accident with a chainsaw, but we're glad to see he's doing well. So Frank's here with us today and glad to hear he is back doing well. And then the next day, my daughter was pulling, was driving and someone pulled out in front of her and totaled her car and she's okay. But it, And then the incidents that we dealt with across our country and then in Dallas at the end of this past week. So um, we just kind of have this sense of, of being battered a little bit, you know, with all these events that have, have taken place um, throughout this past week. And as I thought of the events over this past week, I realized that these are difficult, um, hard to understand, sometimes painful and unfortunate events that, that no one really did anything wrong for these events to occur. There really wasn't any reason that we can understand um, in our limited review of why these things happen. And sometimes life does that to us. Sometimes, for no apparent reason, unfortunate and even tragic events happen in our lives. But sometimes things happen to us where we have done something that we know we did something wrong, and there's a consequence for that action. Um, if you drive too fast and get pulled over and are given a ticket, that's a consequence for a choice that you have made. Um, driven too fast for me, yes, gotten pulled over lately, no, so I'm glad for that. But if you do, and that's a consequence that you have to, that you have to pay as a result of that. Um, you know, if you choose not to pay your bills and your bills come due, you're going to have to pay a consequence for that, whether that's, whether that's late fees or if you aren't able to pay the late fees, you might have something taken from you, repossessed that you had, and now you lose because of your choice. Or maybe in a relationship that you treated someone badly and you put that relationship at risk and you lose something because of your choices and your actions. So sometimes bad things happen for no apparent reason. Sometimes bad things happen and there's a consequence for them. But sometimes bad things happen and it seems like God bails us out. The officer gives you a warning when you knew we're clearly in the wrong. The creditor extends you and gives you a longer time period, even though you know you, are, you owe them something. You mess up in a relationship and your partner or parent or a child is willing to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to you in that situation. And this morning we're going to look at the story in the life of David where um, David did something that kind of leaves us scratching our heads. A little bizarre, odd. You could almost put it in the foolish category. And the crazy thing is, God bails him out. God bails him out. Um, if you haven't been here with us this summer, we're in a series entitled The Heart and Struggles of David. And in the, in the Bible, there's stories of David, but those often tell just the facts. And we want to look at more than the facts. What was going on inside of him? Why did he make these decisions? What were his choices? What drove those decisions? And the Psalms give us a glimpse of those things. And so this morning, that's what we're going to look at, another Psalm in which David, David's heart and struggles come out. And for you this morning, if you're here and, and maybe you've come back to God or you've come back to church or you're visiting with a friend, and 
um, and God's not a part of your life on a regular basis, I hope that this morning um, gives you a glimpse into what God is really like and that you might consider following Him in a relationship with Him after hearing more about that. And for those of you that are, a, if you're a person of faith and you, you pursue God and you follow after God, I pray that this morning that the message will give you a confidence in God that you can call on Him no matter what happens in your life. Even when things go south and you know you're to blame, that God will still show up. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you would turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. If you don't have your Bibles, um, our guys have some. They'll pass them out to you. Um, we'd love to have you follow along in one of those Bibles or on your phone or wireless device. Psalm 34 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you turn into Psalm 34, I want to tell you a little bit of what was happening in David's life prior to his writing of this psalm. If you know anything about the story of David, one of the most well-known facts is David killed Goliath. And David had killed Goliath. And now he was put in charge of uh, some military battles. He had gone out and he had been uh, successful. David never lost. He was undefeated. And because of that, Saul the king was threatened by his success. And so the king um, attempted to kill David. He threw a spear at him, tried to pin him to the wall and kill him. That was not successful. He tried to hunt him down. David confers with Saul's sons, Jonathan, and said, What do I do? What did I do? I really don't, didn't do anything wrong. Can you help me? And they come up with this plan to let him know if he's at risk. And then David takes off. And that's where the story picks up in 1 Samuel 21. And this, it's going to be on the screen. Follow along as I read. 1 Samuel 21, David, it says this, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? You see, David was a military leader. He was in charge of a large group of men, and so he always traveled with men. And so for him to show up and there would be no men around, the priest was a little uneasy about this. And he says, why are you alone? And as the story goes on, David concocts a series of lies to tell him why he was alone. He's on this mission, and he's been sent here, and his men are going to meet up with him later. It's a, whole, it's a lie. It's not true. And then he says, do you have any food? Do you have a sword? So David is on the run, no food, no sword, and Saul is after him. And so David, a little bit later, uncertain of what to do after he gets a little food, gets his sword, trying to figure out what to do next, he decides maybe he'll go and try to hide where his enemies, the Philistines, are. Because who would look for him where the enemy is? And so, a little bit later in 1 Samuel 21, this is what happened. David fled from Saul, went to Achish, the king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said, Isn't this David, the king, he had been anointed king, of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousand, David is ten thousand. Obviously, his cover was blown. His disguise did not work. As he comes and tries to hide out in the enemy territory, they figured out who he was. And the next verse tells David's response. It says, um, let's go ahead to the next screen there, Matt. Um, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he is alone and he's afraid. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. And the king said, what did you do bring me this crazy man? i got enough problems to worry about. Would you just get rid of this guy and get him off my hands? And so David was released and he left. And so this is what's happening in David's life. He's alone. 
He's afraid. He's acting like a madman. And in the midst of this, or sometime shortly after that, he writes the words to Psalm 34. And as we're going to go through this psalm this morning, I think my suspicion is that David probably wrote this after having some time to reflect on what happened. And he realized a lot of things about God. He realized some things about his life. And he wrote those down. If you're there in Psalm 34, look what he says in verses 1 through 3. The first thing he says is he says, he says we should be praising God. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise is always on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Verse 3, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Five different times David says we should be praising God. We should be praising God. We should be praising God. And in verse 1, he says, his praise will always be on my lips. Now, we don't know that David was praising God when he was alone, when he was afraid, when he was acting like a crazy man. But sometime, I think, after that event, David came to realize, you know, God's always here, and God's always present, even when things aren't going my way. And one of the things that David wanted to be was a person who was aware of and able to praise God no matter what the circumstances were that he was facing. He goes on to describe the people that should be doing this in verse 2. He says, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. And I think David is describing some of his own experience. Again, I'm not sure everything that was going on inside of David, but he was certainly someone who was facing a degree of affliction. He'd been abandoned, he had been rejected, he'd been ignored, and we're going to see that a little bit later. But he said, even those people who are in those difficult situations... They will hear the praise of others, and they will rejoice. And that's one of the benefits of coming to worship on a regular basis and being here at CCC. Because you might have had a week, as I talked a little bit about our experiences this past week, and you don't feel like praising God. And you may be wondering where God is, and we're going to talk a little bit later about God's goodness. But as you come into this setting and you hear others around you praising God as we were and celebrating God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's provision and God's plan, your heart is then able to be turned towards doing that. David goes on in verse 4 to describe his situation and what he did. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. The, the word sought there, it's not the idea of looking for something you've lost and trying to find it. That's not the idea. A better word might be to call upon the Lord. I mean, it's as if he realized he was in trouble, and he said, i got to call someone and find some help. As we were navigating the situation with Alicia and her vehicle, the car ended up being totaled, and she left for Haiti yesterday, and so we had to try to figure out some transportation issues. We ran into some problems with um, her car, and so I called some individuals that I knew knew about these things. I said, can you give me some advice? And they directed me, well, you need to do this, and if this doesn't work, you need to do this. If this doesn't work, you need to do this. And that's what David is doing here. He says, I sought after the Lord, and he answered me. But then look at this next phrase. He delivered me from all of my fears. Um, We know David was alone. There's certainly fear in being alone and being hunted down your life being in jeopardy. We certainly know that David was afraid. Um, We don't know what else was going on in David's life. 
we know that his family had um, had rejected him. A little bit later, his family shows up, but at this point in his life, he's by himself. Uh, he was the youngest of all the brothers, so the younger, the youngest sibling in a family is either um, favored or ignored. They get one of those two options: the youngest kid. That's what they get. You know, they're either the favorite one or the, uh, they don't. Nobody pays any attention to them, and they act out just to get attention. You know. We know that his brothers didn't value him when he came and showed up on the battlefield against Goliath. And he said, why aren't you guys fighting him? And they just wanted to dismiss him. But David says, when I called out to God, he rescued me from all of my fears. And he goes on to describe his response in verse 5. He said, those who look to him, to God, are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. You know, the idea of radiant is the idea of a glow on someone's face. I mean, can you think about people in situations when their faces just glow? You know, um, when, a, when that bride walks down the aisle or the bride and groom shortly after they're married, you know, their faces just kind of have this, this newlywed glow. And the people that have been married a while look at them like, they don't have a clue, you know, look at that glow there. But, you know, they're just glowing, right? You know, there's just this glow on their face. They're so excited, so thrilled to be with the one that they love and be able to be there with them and committing their lives to each other, you know. Um, when a mom and dad have, have a little baby and they bring that baby home for the first time and they show that baby off, you know, there's just kind of this, this glow, right? You know, they don't know about sleepless nights. You know, they don't know about cleaning up poop and vomit. They don't know about any of that. They're just glowing, right? Because it's just this wonderful thing that has come into their lives. And David says, when I sought after God, and we know the backstory, when I was alone, and I kind of did some weird, stupid stuff. God showed up. He, he showed up. And, and He bailed me out. He rescued me. He did what I didn't think I deserved. And I can't stop talking about it. And there's this sense of glow all about Him. But there's a second part to this verse when He says there, He said, Their faces are never covered with shame. You know, shame is something that our culture is talking about a lot. Um, you know, you kind of know someone who's, who feels a sense of shame. They drop their eyes. You know, they don't really look at you. They kind of shift away. They shift their eyes like this. Someone who feels a sense of shame. You know, Brene Brown talks about a sense of worth, worthlessness or not a lack of worthiness. You know, when you think of David, what would be the sense of shame for him? You know, the, the shame from acting like a madman trying to get out of the Philistine community. But there's shame from bad decisions, shame from feeling inferior, shame from a lack of self-worth. And David says that when you call out to God and God rescues you, even if it's your fault, he says... Your face never shows a sense of shame. Then why is that? Why is that? Because you realize at that moment in time that you are valuable enough to God, that you are treasured enough to God, that you are precious enough to Him that He would choose to intercede on your behalf. He goes on in the next couple verses to describe the the situation a little bit more. In verse 6, he kind of restates it again. He said, This poor man called, the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all of his troubles. 
David was probably physically poor, but I'm sure emotionally he was poor. He was spent. He didn't have anything left. And you're going to see this phrase, God rescuing him, God delivered him. God rescued him, God delivered him, over and over and over again. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. He uses this phrase, the angel of the Lord, that appears all throughout the Bible. And he kind of shows up in these strategic moments when, when people of faith are at this crisis situation. For Abraham, it was when he was asked to sacrifice Isaac. For Moses, it was at the burning bush. For the people of Israel, it was when God brought down judgment on him. For um, the, they also wiped out the Assyrians when they were encamped around him, as the prophet Isaiah records. And so the angel of God is this representation of God or God himself. I'm not quite sure what that is, but just shows up in these strategic moments. And he pictures him surrounding him surrounding him. I had a sense of that with a health issue that I went through just a little over a month ago. With our church surrounding me, with cards that were sent and emails and texts and messages and phone calls and people checking in and just this sense of being surrounded and being lifted up and being cared for. And that's what David says there in verse 7. And he delivers them. But he has this phrase in the middle of the verse, he says, he encamps around those who fear him. He's going to come back to that idea of those who fear God a little bit later. And David now shifts direction from praising God and talking about his situation to, to giving a series of statements that kind of restate and look at who it is that God helps. Who it is that God helps. And as he talks about the people that God helps, there's these two ideas that keep showing up over and over and over again. The first idea is that God takes this, that you can go to God and He will rescue you. And the second is that when He rescues you, you will have everything that you need. And so those two ideas are going to show up all throughout this next set of verses. In spite of the fact that David took matters into his own hands, in spite of the fact that David was afraid and alone and acting like a crazy man, God still did this on his behalf. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Taste and see. You know, when you're thinking about something that tastes good, you, the first thing you do is you look at it, you decide, is that something good that I would like to eat, you know? Is that something delicious that I might enjoy? And then after you taste it, you might kind of, you know, if it's fresh, you might smell it and say, is that something that smells fresh and I might enjoy it? But that still doesn't really tell you if it's really enjoyable, does it? The other night I was at the, had a chance to go with uh, some of my, my brother and uh, our kids and my dad to an Orioles game and somebody had a bag of pretzels, you know, and so they were passing these pretzels. So I looked at the pretzels, they looked good, didn't smell them because I can't smell, so that didn't help. But, but then I took a bite of them and I was like, oh, that's a burnt pretzel, you know. That must have been a bag of seconds somebody got off the secondhand rack, you know. That was just kind of nasty. You know, so I had to drink some water, try to get one that wasn't burnt. And so you really have to taste something to see if this is really very, very good. So um, you want to taste one of these, Kelly? All right, which one? You can take your pick. She's going to taste that one. You've got to taste it. You've got to take a bite right now. How's it taste? Good, very good. As she's holding it right in front of her sister's nose as she's smelling it there. She might even offer her a bite. I don't know, you know, we'll have to see. But, you know, when you have to taste something to know if it's really good or not. It's not enough just to see it. It's not enough just to smell it, hold it. You have to taste it. 
And, and, and David, as he invites us in terms of how do we respond when we find ourselves in these difficult situations, what does he invite us to taste and see? What does he invite us to taste and see? That God is good. That God is good. And you know, one of the hardest things to remember, sometimes one of the hardest things to believe when life goes south on you, whether it just happens, whether you messed up, whether someone else messed up and you're paying the price for it, is that God is good. And David says, you have to take this in. You have to take it in. You have to take it in. Because it's the only way you're going to navigate through these difficult times is to believe that God is good and that He's good all the time. That God is good and He's good all the time. It's on the screen behind me. Would you say it out loud with me? God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. You know, when someone abandons their faith, walks away from God, throws in the towel. They abandon this truth. Because in most of those situations, not all, but in most of those situations, something has happened in their life that is not good. This doesn't say your life is going to be good. It says God is good. And they've had something bad happen to them. Unquestionably, awful, horrible. And they said, God can't be good if He allowed this to happen to me. And they abandoned their God. And David says, somehow, somehow, you have to take in the reality that God is good. That God is good. And there it is again. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. In verse 9, he goes on to say this, Fear the Lord, you His holy people, for those who fear Him lack nothing. I always struggle with this concept of fearing God, fearing the Lord. It's all throughout the Bible, it's all throughout the Psalms, heavily in the Proverbs, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I struggle to understand what the fear of God is. I think it has to be more than a reverence. I've heard some say fear of God is reverence for God, you know. Um, kind of a respect almost for someone because of their position or their responsibility. I think it's more than that. Uh, I've also heard some people talk about fear of God as almost kind of a, a cowering like this, that, you know, God's going to bring down the hammer and I, I don't know where I'm going to mess up or what I'm going to, I'm afraid to do anything because of God's judgment that's going to come down on top of me. And I don't think that's what it is either. But somewhere in the middle of these two ideas is this concept of fearing God. And a little bit later in the passage, David's going David's to talk about the way this shows up. How do you know if someone fears God? It's a little surprising. A little surprising. But he says here that those who fear Him lack nothing. Verse 10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Some translations of the young lions... Uh, may grow weak and hungry, or may grow 
hungry. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about what causes that, you know, especially for a young lion, they have to learn to hunt on their own. When they're really, when they're cubs, you know, the parents will bring them their food and they, they have the food to eat. But at some point, they've got to go out on their own. And the parents will take care of them for a little bit, but then they've got to be out on their own. I was out walking the dog last week, and uh, we were on the path around the park, and I saw, came across, saw this, this thing fluttering in front of me. I was like, what is that? And I realized it was a baby bird right there on the, on the path. And you know, I was like, oh, that's probably not a good place for me right there on the path. I kind of pulled the dog away from it, you know. And, uh, and so I kind of just pushed it with my foot, and I kind of pushed it over in the grass. As soon as I pushed it over in the grass... I had these two sparrows dive-bombing on my head, you know, and I got out of there really fast, you know. Mama and Papa were still protecting the little one, you know, there, but, but they pushed it out of the nest so it would what? So it would learn to fly and be able to go out on its own. And you think of, you know, young lion cubs, they're going to be hungry because they're trying to find prey, and they're not very good at hunting yet, and so they're going to be without at times. But he says, those who seek the Lord, maybe a little glimpse into what fearing God is, those who seek the Lord, they won't lack anything. It goes on in verse 11 to start, talk about this fear of the Lord idea. He says, come my children, listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And this is what it seems to look like. Verse 12, whoever of you loves life desires to see many good days. It seems like a part of fearing the Lord is anticipating and looking forward to what God has for you. Look at verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Seems kind of odd and random. Then in verse 13 he says, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. As I looked at all of those verses, I thought, what do those verses have to do with being taught about the fear of God? And I realized almost all of those verses, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from lies, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. It's all about my relationships with other people. It's all about my words and my actions. It's not about how much of the Bible I know. It's not about how much I pray. He doesn't say that demonstrates someone who fears God. He said someone who fears God is someone who knows what God says and they live it out in their relationships with one another. They don't just have a head knowledge full of information. That's the religious Pharisees that Jesus rebuked in the New Testament. He said someone who fears God is someone who knows the truth and they live it out. It shapes the words that they speak. It shapes the actions that they pursue. It shapes how they relate in conflict. And I wonder if David is saying people who fear God are people whose lives have been changed by the truth of God's Word. Not they know the truth, their lives have been changed by the truth of God's Word. He goes on in 15 and 16 to describe this situation again. He says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their cry. Now he starts to look at the other side, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. You know, as I told a number of people about what happened to our church, people were like aghast. Like, who would break into a church, you know? Steal stuff. Of all people, you know? And um, I've had people ask, what do I know about the investigate? What do you know, they find the person, you know? 
you know, don't really know much about all of that. I know that even if our local law enforcement doesn't find them, that this verse says God's going to take care of people who do evil things. He not only has his eyes on his own, and he's watching and caring for them, it says he's attentive to their cry. That means he's got his ear to the monitor. It's on. He's listening. He's waiting for you to call out if you need his help. But he's also going to take care of of those who are evil. I love verse 17 and 18. It says, The righteous cry out, and what does God do? He hears them. And what does He do? He delivers them. There it is again, again. But look at verse 18. It says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Um, you know, sometimes awful things happen to us that are just what David describes. It just crushes us inside. Some of you sadly have known a, a spouse who says, I don't want to be with you. I don't love you. I don't want anything to do with you. And your spirit is crushed inside. Someone who's violated your marriage covenant and you're just crushed inside. Some of you have had children that have struggled in their relationship with you. And in spite of your sacrifices and your generosity and your love, they reject all that and you're crushed inside. Some of you are just now figuring out that in your childhood, God's design is for parents to love and nurture, for parents to fathers to demonstrate strength and mothers to demonstrate warmth. And those things got reversed and mixed up and confused. And you're just now realizing that as a child, your spirit was crushed inside. You had a friend that you trusted. Always be there. Cover your back. And they broke that trust, and you're crushed inside. And I think people that experience this kind of travesty, this kind of devastation, um, you know, David says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Isaiah said that the Messiah, when he comes, will heal the brokenhearted. And that's what Jesus quoted when he showed up on this earth. I think God Himself has a deep and special concern for those who've experienced what this verse talks about. And what does He say? He says, God is close. He's close. You might not feel like He's close. You might not have a sense of His closeness. But He's close. David closes by just kind of repeating these same ideas over and over again. Look in verse 19. The righteous person, you're going to have tough times, many troubles. God's going to bail you out. He's going to take care of even your physical body in verse 20. Verse 22, the Lord will rescue His servants 
He'll slay the wicked again in 21, and no one who takes refuge will be condemned. Just over and over and over and over and over again that God will rescue you. God will be there for you. God will walk with you. God will be close to you. Even at times, like I think in the story of David, when he kind of blew it. I mean, he tried to solve his own problems. Tried to find his own shelter. Tried to spare his own life, even after God had demonstrated that he was willing to spare him from a giant. It seemed like he had to act like a crazy man to get himself out. As I thought about what this all means to us, I thought about how do we respond when things like this happen in our lives? How do we respond when we kind of mess up, when we blow it? And we know we've blown it. We know we've blown it. Um, you know, I thought of three different responses that we often have, at least that I observe and have experienced. I thought the first one is we, we try to push the blame somewhere else, you know. Well, it's your fault, or you made me do this, or you caused it, and someone out there, we kind of push it away. Someone else's fault. We don't want to look at it or face it or consider it. I think a second response is the one we talked about earlier in the sense of shame, that when something happens, when we mess up, when we blow it, kind of beat ourselves up, kind of hang our head. How could I do such a stupid thing? What an idiot, you know, I'm so stupid, you know. It's almost anger and hatred at ourselves and and we turn it all inward. We don't really ask God or others for help and we just push them all away. And and the last one is that for some of us, we recognize we made a mistake and say, God, can you help me? I really kind of blew it. I'd like another chance. I'd like another chance. And I realize that my responses now in my adult life are something that I learned very young. All of us did. All of us at a very young age, when we made a mistake, when we messed up and someone saw we messed up, one of two things happened. Either we experienced grace, that's a bad thing, we experienced compassion, and sometimes justice if we made a mistake, that there's consequences to it. So we experienced grace, or the other side we experience is justice. Twice the amount of punishment. How could you? Why would you? You're such an embarrassment and shame. As I thought about David's story here, I thought about what David experienced from God. He was alone and afraid Nothing he did wrong to get there. But he acted like a crazy man to try to bail himself out. And you could almost imagine a father saying, What were you thinking? Why did you do such something like that? Why didn't you call me? You're going to have to get yourself out of this mess. David didn't hear any of that. What did David hear? David heard this poor man called out. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles so that he lacked nothing. 
I don't know about you, but I didn't experience that much at all. To the point that when I began to experience some of that in my adult life, I was literally stunned. And I often am still to this day. I do not expect that I will be responded to in that way by others when I mess up. I brace myself for what's coming. I don't anticipate or expect grace. But that's what David discovered. In a situation that kind of leaves us scratching our heads a little bit, we could almost picture ourselves if we were one of his good friends, say, David, what were you thinking when you did that? And yet he experiences something totally different from his God. And so for us this morning, as you think about what do you do with this, for some of you, you may be like David, where you've, you've kind of blown it. If you're going to be honest, you, you recently have blown it. Kind of messed up. And um, you just need to call out to God for help. Say, God, I, I did something, I said something, I acted on this, and, and I treated this person, and you just need to go to Him for help. Maybe some of you this morning just need a reminder that God is good because life right now is not good. You're not looking forward to the next day. You're kind of afraid, as some would put it, for the next shoe to, for the other shoe to drop. And so you're not believing God is good all the time right now. And maybe for some of you, you just are at a place where you're saying, you know, I I think I'm at the place where I want to seek after God. I'm at the place where I want my life to reflect that I love God and I want that to be reflected in my love for other people. I want it to come out in my words. And I want others to know that. Would you bow your heads and just want to invite you to take a moment be honest and talk to God about where you're at right now. Maybe you need to cry out to Him. Maybe you need to thank Him for His goodness and for Him being there for you. God, you are not surprised by anything that's happened here in Reinhold's this past week. 
You're not surprised by what's happened in each of our lives, each of our worlds. What happened in Minnesota, Louisiana, or Dallas. And Lord, regardless of whether we are facing difficulties because of choices that we have made, or sometimes just painful things that happened, God, David reminds us this morning that you are waiting, attentive to the cry of your own, to rescue them and to give them whatever they need. God, help us even when life is not good to know that you are. And that somehow, even if it's not clear now, that we will trust that your plan is right and is good and we'll get it maybe sometime down the road. Lord, I pray especially for those who know they've They've just blown it recently and it might be something as simple as a conversation that they had in the last 24 hours or something they did in the last week, God, but I pray that they might know your amazing, unconditional grace, your loving acceptance that you offer to them. Not words of shame. but love and acceptance. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love and your mercies that are new every day. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to turn things over to Jesse and Chad to close us with this song. Let's stand.